Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Beloved listeners, welcome to today's radio program. I'm Carlota Ekonomu and I'm very happy to be back with you to present the New Zealand Greek Metropolis's Christian Orthodox radio program on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. This is with the blessing of our Archbishop Gerios Gerios Miron. We hope you'll find today's program both interesting and spiritually enlightening with its mix of readings and explanations from the Holy Gospel, readings from spiritual books, some discussion on the lives of the saints, hymns and notices. Now for a few words of introduction in Greek. Αγαπητοί ακροατές, χαίρετε. Σας ευχαριστούμε που είστε συντονισμένοι μαζί μας για ακόμη μία φορά στην εκπομπή της Ερεάς Μητροπόλεως Νέας Ζηλανδίας στο Wellington's Access Radio 106,1 FM. Αυτό γίνεται με την ευλογία του Μητροπολίτου μας Κύριος Κύριος Μύρονας. Ελπίζουμε να σας έχουμε μαζί μας καθόλη την διάρκεια της σημερινής εκπομπή από την οποία εύχομαι όλοι μας να οφειλεθούμε πνευματικά. Και τώρα ας ξεκινήσουμε το πρόγραμμά μας όπως κάνουμε κάθε εβδομάδα με την προσευχή Βασιλέφου Ράνιε. Βασιλέφου Ράνιε, παράκλητε το πνεύμα της αληθείας, ο πανταχού παρών και τα πάντα πληρών, ο θησαυρός των αγαθών και ζωής χορηγός, έλθε και σκήνωσον εν ημίν και καθάρισον ημάς από πάσης κυλίδος και σώσον αγαθέτας ψυχάς ημών. O heavenly King, comforter, the spirit of truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from all impurities and save our souls, O gracious one. Let's spend some time now talking about important church events as well as the lives of some of the church's athletes whom we commemorate either today or will do so during the week to come. 
Today is the 11th Sunday of Luke and we will hear about this later from Father Pavlos. I will speak about Saint Spirit on the Wonder Worker and Bishop of Tremithus, whom we commemorate today, and Saint Herman of Alaska, whom we will commemorate, God willing, on the 13th. As we've said previously, the reason we talk and read about our saints is so that we learn from them and apply these learnings to our everyday lives, essentially to give us the courage and strength to face all our trials and tribulations with faith, patience and love. Let's start out with speaking about Saint Spiridon, the wonder worker and bishop of Tremithus. Saint Spiridon was born in the 3rd century on the island of Cyprus. He was a married man with children and worked as a shepherd. He was very caring and generous and helped all his neighbours and the homeless. For his generosity, God gave him the gift of wonderworking and he healed those who were incurably sick as well as casting out demons. After the death of his wife during the reign of Constantine the Great, He was made Bishop of Tremithus and continued his charitable deeds while also carrying out his pastoral duties. He participated at the First Ecumenical Council in the year 325 at which he entered a dispute with a Greek philosopher who was defending the Arian heresy. The power of St. Spiridon's plain, direct speech showed everyone the importance of human wisdom before God's wisdom. Listen, philosopher, to what I tell you. There is one God who created man from dust. He has ordered all things, both visible and invisible, by his word and his spirit. The word is the Son of God who came down upon the earth on account of our sins. He was born of a virgin. He lived among men and suffered and died for our salvation. And then he rose from the dead, and he has resurrected the human race with him. We believe that he is one in essence, consubstantial with the Father, and equal to him in authority and honour. We believe this without any sly rationalizations, for it is impossible to grasp this mystery by human reason. As a result of this discussion, Arian's supporter became the saint's zealous defender and later received holy baptism. Indeed, after his con- conversation with Saint Spiridon, he turned to his companions and said, Listen, until now my rivals have presented their arguments and I was able to refute their proofs with other proofs. But instead of proofs from reason, the words of the elder are filled with some sort of special power, and no one can refute them, since it is impossible for man to oppose God. If any of you thinks as I do now, let him believe in Christ, and join me in following this man, for God himself speaks through his lips. In addition, St. Spiridon displayed the unity of the Holy Trinity at this council in a remarkable way. He took a brick in his hand and squeezed it. At that instant, fire shot up from it, water dripped on the ground, and only dust remained in the hands of the wonder worker. There was only one brick, St. Spiridon said, but it was composed of three elements. 
In the Holy Trinity there are three persons, but only one God. The saint cared for his flock with great love. Through his prayers, drought was replaced by abundant rains, and incessant rains were replaced by fair weather. Through his prayers, the sick were healed and demons cast out. A woman once came up to him with a dead child in her arms, imploring the intercession of the saint. He prayed, and the infant was restored to life. The mother, overcome with joy, collapsed lifeless. Through the prayers of the saint of God, the mother was restored to life. Another time, hastening to save his friend, who had been falsely accused and sentenced to death, the saint was hindered on his way by the unanticipated flooding of a stream. He commanded the water, Halt, for the Lord of all the world commands that you permit me to cross so that a man may be saved. The will of the saint was fulfilled and he crossed over to the other shore. The judge, apprised of the miracle that had occurred, respectfully received Saint Spiridon and set his friend free. On another occasion he went into an empty church and ordered that the lambadas and candles be lit and then he began the service. When he said, Peace be unto all, both he and the deacon heard from above the resounding of a great multitude of voices saying, And with thy spirit. The choir was majestic and more sweetly melodious than any human choir. To each petition of the litanies the invisible choir sang, Lord have mercy. Attracted by the church singing, the people who lived nearby hastened to the church. As they got closer and closer to the church, the wondrous singing filled their ears and gladdened their hearts. But when they entered into the church, they saw no one but the bishop and several church servers, and they no longer heard the singing which had greatly astonished them. Saint Simeon Metaphrastes, the author of his life, likened Saint Spiridon to the patriarch Abraham in his hospitality. Sozomen, in his church history, offers an amazing example from the life of the saint of how he received strangers. One time, at the start of the forty-day fast, a stranger knocked at his door. Seeing that the traveller was exhausted, Saint Spiridon said to his daughter, Wash the feet of this man, so he may recline to dine. But since it was Lent, there were none of the necessary provisions, for the saint partook of food only on certain days, and on other days he went without food. His daughter replied that there was no bread or flour in the house. Then Saint Spiridon, apologizing to his guest, ordered his daughter to cook a salted ham from their larder. After seating the stranger at the table, he began to eat, urging the man to do the same. When the man refused, calling himself a Christian, the saint replied, It is not proper to refuse this, for the word of God proclaims, Unto the pure all things are pure. Another historical detail reported by Sozomen was characteristic of the saint. It was his custom to distribute one part of the gathered harvest to the poor and another portion to those in debt. He did not take a portion for himself, 
but simply showed them the entrance to his storeroom where each could take as much as was needed and could later pay it back in the same way, all this without records or accountings. There is also the tale by Socrates Scholasticus about how robbers planned to steal St. Spiridon's sheep. They broke into the sheepfold at night, but here they found themselves all tied up by some invisible power. When morning came, the saint went to his flock and, seeing the tied-up robbers, he prayed and released them. He then advised them to abandon their life of crime and earn their livelihood by respectable work. Then he made them a gift of a sheep and sending them off, he said kindly, Take this for your trouble so that you did not spend a sleepless night in vain. There are countless retellings of Saint Spiridon's simplicity and the gift of wonder-working granted him by God. Through a word of this saint the dead were awakened, the elements of nature tamed, and the idols were smashed. At one point a council had been, in, had been convened in Alexandria by the Patriarch to discuss what to do about the idols and the pagan temples there. Through the prayers of the fathers of the council, all the idols fell down except one. It was revealed to the patriarch in a vision that this idol had to be shattered by St. Spiridos of Tremithos. Invited by the council, the saint set sail on a ship, and at the moment the ship touched shore and the saint stepped out on land, the idol in Alexandria with all its offerings turned to dust which was then reported to the Patriarch and all the bishops. Saint Spiridon lived his earthly life in righteousness and sanctity and prayerfully surrendered his soul to the Lord. His relics repose on the island of Gergira, or Corfu, in a church named after him. His right hand, however, is located in Rome. His memory is also celebrated on Cheese Fair Saturday. Let's now hear a little about St. Herman of Alaska. 
in an obscure corner of what is now Alaska, on an Aleutian island called Spruce, a monk laboured from the late 1700s until his repose in 1837. Braving sub-zero temperatures, plagues and storms, ill-treatment from fellow Russians who resented and misunderstood him, St. Herman lived a life marked by astonishing ascetic labour that gave birth to a deep love and concern for all with whom he came in contact. Strangely, despite the miracles associated with him, not only throughout his life but also after his death, he was all but forgotten after he reposed. Thirty years will pass after my death. All those who live now on Spruce Island will be dead. You alone will remain alive, and you will be old and poor. Then they will remember me. Father Herman said this to his Eliot follower, Ignatius Aliaga. As with other prophecies of the saint, this one too was fulfilled, as, in the year 1867, Bishop Peter of Alaska began a formal investigation into his life. It wasn't until 1894 that his story became known to the outside world, and then his glorification waited another 76 years until the 9th of August 1970. Born into a merchant family in Moscow, St. Herman became a monk when he was still a teenager, first entering the Holy Trinity Sergius Hermitage near Petersburg, then later moving to Varlam Monastery. The saint grew to love Varlam with his entire being. Monks there remembered him singing in a pleasant tenor voice while tears streamed from his eyes. For the rest of his life, St. Herman considered Varlam his spiritual home. Indeed, he called his hermitage on Spruce Island New Varlam. In the second half of the 1700s, explorers were expanding to the boundaries of Russia, and Metropolitan Gabriel asked Varlam's elder, Nazarius, to choose ten men to evangelize the Aleutians. Sadly, after five successful years of founding schools and churches, the head of the mission, Archimandriti Iosaf, and his entire entourage drowned. One after another, others working on the mission left, until St. Herman remained alone. One time, St. Herman was asked, How do you, Father Herman, manage to live alone in the forest? Don't you get bored? He answered, No, I'm not alone there. There is God, and God is everywhere. There are holy angels. How can one be bored with them? With whom is it more pleasant and better to converse, angels or people? Angels, of course. In addition to conversing with the angels throughout his hours of prayer and worship, St. Herman worked tirelessly. He ate and slept very little, and when he slept, he used a bed that was a board resting his head on a pillow of bricks. All his life he wore the simple, same simple clothing, a sleeveless deerskin shirt, his cassock and monk's hat, a faded patched mantle and his shoes. In rain and storms, in the midst of winter, snow or severe frost, he never changed his garments or added any layers for warmth. His physical feats astonished those who knew him. One disciple saw him walking barefoot on a winter's night, hauling a log that would have been difficult for four men to carry. 
With his own hands, he built his cell and chapel, hauled baskets of kelp from the ocean to fertilize his garden, and in the midst of the labor, meticulously kept the monk's rule of service and prayers. Tending his own garden and diligently observing his monastic rule didn't keep St. Herman from reaching out with great love and concern to his Aleutian neighbours. On feast days and Sundays, he would gather them in the chapel next to his cell and lead them in holy services. The people loved to listen to his spiritual teaching and would visit him at all hours of the day and night, staying until early morning to absorb his instruction. Saint Herman especially loved the Aleutian children for whom he would bake cookies and he watched over those who were weak and powerless. He started a school for orphans, tended the sick during a plague that decimated the population and defended the native Aleuts before the Russian fur traders who were exploiting them. The people began to tell each other of miracles they'd seen. Father Herman would tell someone of a future event and it would come to pass. Animals, even bears, would eat from his hands. He placed an icon of the Mother of God in the sand and a tidal wave receded back into the ocean. People flocked to the elder for counsel and help. Affectionately, the Aleuts began to call him their North Star, referring to how his teaching guided and grounded them, or the even more intimate Upper, which meant grandfather. Our sins, he wrote, do not in the least hinder our Christianity. Sin, to one who loves God, is nothing other than an arrow from the enemy in battle. The vain desires of this world separate us from our homeland. Love of them and habit clothe our soul as if in a hideous garment. We who travel on the journey of this life and call on God to help us ought to divest ourselves of this garment and clothe ourselves in new desires, in a new love of the age to come, and thereby receive knowledge of how near or how far we are from our heavenly homeland. As the time of St. Herman's repose drew closer, he began to tell his disciples to prepare, giving them specific instructions about his burial and services. Everything he prophesied related to his death came to pass, exactly as he had foretold. And so it was that on December the 13th, 1837, he leaned his head on the chest of his disciple Yerasim and reposed. Glory to thee, O Lord, he pronounced with shining face, just before taking his last breath. In various Aleutian towns, people reported seeing a pillar of light, reaching from Spruce Island to the heavens. St. Herman has left us, one villager reportedly said. Fortunately for the Aleuts and all Alaskans, St. Herman hasn't ever left them. Miracles attributed to his intercessions have happened since his repose and are still happening today. Most native Alaskans today are still orthodox and they honour his memory with prayers and pilgrimages. His relics rest in the Resurrection Church on Kodiak and orthodox faithful from all over the world come to venerate them and ask for his prayers. May we all have St. Herman's intercessions on our behalf. O blessed Father Herman of Alaska, North Star of Christ's Holy Church, the 
If you've just joined us, welcome to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox radio program on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. I'm Carlotta Ekonomo and I'd like to remind you that you can listen to this and previous programs at your convenience anytime that suits you through the Access Radio website at www.accessradio.org.nz. NZ. Click onto the Religion and Spirituality link, then scroll down to the Greek Orthodox Holy Metropolis of New Zealand section. It's now time for Question for the Priest, and Father Meletheos, priest, monk and abbot from the Holy Archangels Monastery in Levin, will answer the question, How do people who endure serious illnesses and deformities carry the image of God, or... In what way is God's love manifested in those who suffer? God is love, and everything imperfect in this world is not the result of God's mistakes. Rather, it is the outcome, the result of the fallen nature of man. God has not left us alone. He even became a man and suffered to the death for our salvation. In other words, so that we could be healed. In the liturgy, in the prayer of the anaphora, the offering, the church together with the priest prays, It is worthy and right to hymn you, to bless you, to praise you, to give you thanks, to worship you in every place of your dominion, for your God, ineffable, incomprehensible, invisible, inconceivable, ever-existing, eternally the same, you and your only begotten Son and your Holy Spirit. You brought us out of non-existence into being, And when we had fallen, you raised us up again, and left nothing undone, until you had brought us up to heaven, and had granted us your kingdom that is to come. Hundreds of years before Christ, the prophet Isaiah, mystically gazing at the incarnated word of God, says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of pain and familiar with sickness. Like one from whom people hide their faces he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our sickness and carried our pains, yet we consider him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole, and by his wounds we are healed. People who suffer from serious illnesses and deformities carry exactly this image of God, the image of God who himself became despised and rejected and who took upon himself our illnesses. We do not believe in a God who sits on the clouds and to whom the angels sing, while people suffer here on earth, and who just looks upon us from his heavenly heights. It is a false image in which man alone projects his selfishness and lack of love unto God. God is here with us, he is constantly among those who are nothing, among the poorest, among the unfortunate, the sick and deformed, children, adults and the elderly, rather than with the strong and powerful of this world, unless they humble themselves 
repent and use the health and strength God gave them for the mercy and love for others. Saint Elder Pisius, through his life experience of God, says, Those who come close to people in pain naturally draw near to God, because God is always by the side of his children who are in pain. An Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. As Christians we believe that we as persons are in dynamic development. The state in which we live in this fallen nature is not our eternal state and likeness. Therefore, with hope in Christ, we believe that after the resurrection every sickness, sorrow and sighing will disappear and that among the first to be with Christ will be the ones who suffered greatly, carried their cross in the world and in this age. Man's person is not the result of chemical, biological processes and therefore despite all disabilities, as the case of Alzheimer's, man's person, in a way which is incomprehensible to us, continues to preserve its freedom and can live in communion with God. Therefore, despite all the pain, misery and suffering in this world, we thank God and we know that this is not the final shape of the world that God created, but everything will be transformed into the new heavens and new earth, and that nobody's hurt and pain will remain without wondrous divine consolation. During the service on Palm Sunday evening, the priest takes out in the procession an icon of Christ, the bridegroom, on Infios. It might be expected that the bridegroom icon would show Christ in glory or at his second coming, yet the icon shows Christ humiliated by Pontius Pilate's soldiers. In cruel irony, the soldiers mockingly worship him and through insults proclaim him rightly to be the king of the Jews. The bridegroom crowned with thorns, cloaked in scarlet bound and holding a reed. This icon, this image of God, shows us nothing more than what the Roman soldiers who sped upon Christ saw. It is up to us whether we can see the bloody, beaten and unpleasant to view Jew before us and recognize our Lord and God or not. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its sharers is silent, so he did not open his mouth, again from the prophet Isaiah. When a certain monk told Saint Siluan that when he was very sick his mother said to his father, How our little boy is suffering, I would gladly give myself to be cut up in pieces, if that would is his suffering. He said, such is the love of God for people. He pitied people so much that he wanted to suffer for them, like their own mother and even more. But no one can understand this great love without the grace of the Holy Spirit. May God bless you. Today's Gospel reading is from Luke chapter 14 verses 16 to 24. The Lord said this parable. 
a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for all is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I go out and see it. I pray you, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go to examine them. I pray you, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported this to his master. Then the householder in anger said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and maimed and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet, for many are called, but few are chosen. Father Pavlos will now explain today's gospel to us. Αγαπητοί μου Χριστιανοί, ακροατές του ραδιοφωνικού προγράμματος της Ιεράς Αρχιεπισκοπής Νέας Ζηλανδίας, beloved listeners to the radio program of the Second Metropolis in New Zealand, uh, we wish you in anticipation happy holidays. Now we are in the midst of Lent. Every day of Lent, of course, as we are getting closer to the Feast of Christmas, our focus is even more bright, and we look with uh, joy upon the coming feast. And what is this wonderful feast? Of course, the birth of Christ. So on this Sunday, we are prepared for the coming feast with a parable from the Lord. This is the 11th Sunday of Luke. O Christos mas pou mas poli, μας ετοιμάζει με την νηστεία της Εκκλησίας για τα Χριστούγεννα. Και βεβαίως η ετοιμασία δεν είναι μόνο το φαγητό και το καθαρισμό του σπιτιού, αλλά είναι και το καθαρισμό της ψυχής. Γι' αυτό η σημερινή περικοπή μιλάει για τον άνθρωπο που πώς πρέπει να ετοιμάζεται για τον Χριστό. As we hear today's gospel reading, we're reminded that the Every liturgy, of course, is a banquet, but that the Lord thinks of heaven as a banquet, and he invites all of us to partake of it. Now, this heavenly banquet is not just something that we will taste in death, that is to say, should we be found worthy, that we'll be standing with the Lord in, in some banquet in heaven, but really it is a way to express uh, communion with God himself, which is a tremendous gift and opportunity that God gives to human beings. And so he expresses it as a banquet. And it's not just something that we can experience in death, but of course even in this life um, through the divine liturgy and in other ways that God pours his grace upon us. O Christos mas didaski oti eporania zoi ine san lipno, mystico lipno, poechi o theos mazi metus anthropus. Ke se apoto lipno to fagito ine η ήδη ζωή του Χριστού. Δηλαδή, παίρνουμε τη ζωή του για την ζωή μας και ζούμε την ίδια θεϊκή ζωή που ζει ο Χριστός. Και αυτό είναι κάτι πάρα πολύ σπουδαίο 
και έτσι ο Θεός μας, το, μας προσφέρει. Α, και αυτό το δείπνο όμως δεν το, έχουμε, δεν το έχουμε μόνο όταν πεθαίνουμε, όταν αποβιώσουμε από τη ζωή αυτή. Αλλά κάθε φορά που είμαστε στη Θεία Λειτουργία και μεταλαμβάνουμε τα άχρηστα μυστήρια του Χριστού. Αυτό το πάνκο που ο Χριστός μας λέει, έχει εμβάλλει όλα τα πιο σημαντικά άνθρωποι της πόλης. And after they are invited, he sends his servant to find out if they are coming. And uh, this is a beautiful reference, of course, to the angels who act on the Lord's behalf. And when he goes to each of these people who are invited, each one demurs, that is to say, says, no, thank you, I have something else to do. But it was nice that you asked me. Okay. Ο, ο άγγελος πάει α, με υπακοή σε κάθε άνθρωπο που είναι καλεσμένος και το ρωτάει, θα ρωθείτε τελικά ή δεν θα ρωθείτε. Και κάθε άνθρωπο που ρωτάει, λέει ο άνθρωπος, ευχαριστώ πάρα πολύ που με κάλεσες, αλλά δυστυχώς δεν μπορώ να έρθω. Και έτσι με αυτόν τον τρόπο λέει, το όχι. Είναι ένα ωραίο όχι, αλλά είναι το όχι. Και αντί να, να είναι ευχαριστημένος, ο Θεός που τα ακούει αυτό λέει είναι οργιστής, δηλαδή οργίζεται, γίνεται θυμωμένος. Και γιατί θυμωμένος, γιατί αυτοί οι άνθρωποι διαλέξανε το, το, αυτό που δεν είναι τόσο ωραίο για το πράγμα, αντί το πράγμα που είναι το καλύτερο. Αντί το καλύτερο, το χειρότερο. The um, Lord sends out his angel to invite those people to the banquet. And when he comes, of course, all of them have an excuse. And he becomes rightfully angry. And the reason he's angry, just so we can very clearly understand, is that these people have chosen the lesser instead of the greater. And why is this a, uh, an important gospel reading for us as we approach the Feast of Christmas? Κάθε άνθρωπος, κάθε οικογένεια που ετοιμάζεται για τα Χριστούγεννα πρέπει να έχει μαζί με τις ετοιμασίες ετοιμασία να πάμε μαζί στην Εκκλησία. Κάθε οικογένεια να πάει στην Εκκλησία να μεταλαμβάνει τα άχραντα μυστήρια του Χριστού. Όποιος δεν έχει τη Θεία Λειτουργία και την Θεία Κοινωνία μέσα στις προετοιμασίες του, του λείπει το, το μεγαλύτερο, το καλύτερο. Και διαλέγει αυτό που είναι το χειρότερο, το λιγότερο. Uh, we are hearing this beautiful invitation of the Lord on this particular Gospel Sunday so that we can be told in a warning type of way to make a priority of going to church for the Feast of Christmas. Because Christ, of course, told this parable. It's not just the priest trying to give you a guilt trip, as some people think. Christ is saying, we need to choose the thing which is greater and, and to pass on the thing which is lesser. And what could be greater than to take and to receive the Holy Communion on the Feast of Christmas? And yet... As you know, many of us will find some wonderful excuse why we cannot attend. And the church, uh, through this parable of our Lord Christ, lets us hear what some of those excuses might be. And someone says, I'm sorry, I've just purchased a field. Another says, I've just gotten five yoke of oxen. Another says, I've just married a wife. And we can add to those. I'm sorry, I have, um, my family and I have arranged to go to our batch this summer. Another says, I'm sorry, uh, we're going to go on a little vacation to Australia. Another says, I'm sorry, we have some other thing to do. We're going to uh, visit family that day. We don't have time for church. Whatever 
excuse we might come up with. They all are wonderful things, and we should do those things. We should go to Australia. We should go to our batch. We should spend time with family. But we shouldn't do it on the time when the church is calling us to honor and to worship the birth of Christ. Και αυτό είναι το δύσκολο, γιατί στο σημερινό κόσμο όλοι μας έχουμε τις δικαιολογίες μας να κάνουμε κάτι άλλο αντί αυτό που λέει η Εκκλησία. Και νομίζω ότι ποιος, ποιος θα κοιτάξει, ποιος θα καταλάβει όταν θα λείπουμε. Η Εκκλησία αυτή που προσφέρει τέτοια πράγματα τέτοιες ημέρες. Ας έχουν τα Χριστούγεννα άλλη μέρα αντί τη γιορτή των Χριστουγέννων. <laughs> που είναι το σωστίο. The, the, the funny thing is that the people who are saying uh, their uh, objections, they say, well, why does the church have a holiday on, on this time of year anyway? They should invite us to church in a time when we're not going to be um, off work and so that we won't have to uh, miss these family times. But the silly thing about that is that the holidays existed and exist in our society specifically so human beings can go to church. That's why the governments established them years ago and said these are days where no one will work so that people could go and worship. But because of our hedonistic pleasures and uh, different ways of thinking about the world, we have taken these holiday times as not times to worship God, but time to, to enjoy ourselves. And this is really problematic. And that's why God got angry in today's story. And so what does God say instead to his servant? He says, go instead to the streets and the lanes, the plateas, And, and bring the poor and the maimed and the blind and the lame. Δηλαδή, αυτοί που έχουν ανάγκη, ας έρχονται αυτοί. Γιατί αυτοί που νομίζουν ότι δεν έχουν ανάγκη από το Θεό, ας μην έρχονται, μην έρθουν λοιπόν. Αυτοί που έχουν ανάγκη να έρθουν. Και ποιος έχει ανάγκη, αυτός που καταλαβαίνει ότι πεθαίνει, αυτός που ε, καταλαβαίνει ότι ο γάμος του έχει, έχει ανάγκη από ένα θαύμα, γιατί η γυναίκα θα του φύγει, άμα δεν αλλάζουν τα πράγματα. Ότι το... Το παιδί του θέλει πολύ προσευχή γιατί έχει μπλεχθεί με κακούς ανθρώπους. Αυτός που είναι έτσι που καταλαβαίνει ότι έχει ανάγκη, αυτός τα πάει. Και άμα δεν θα πάνε αυτοί, the Lord says, continues, he says, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Δηλαδή, και αυτοί που ούτε περιμέναμε ποτέ να, να, να είναι καλασμένοι, αυτοί που δείχνουν ότι είναι με το δύσιμό τους ίσως ή με την συμπεριφορά τους ότι δεν είναι μαζί με τον Χριστό ας καλέσουμε αυτούς γιατί θέλουμε η Εκκλησία να είναι γεμάτη και η Εκκλησία βεβαίως συμβολίζοντας την παρουσία, την, την παράδοση του Χριστού την, την, η βασιλεία του, του, του Θεού So as we are seeing these beautiful stories being told to us we realize that Our Lord is trying to teach us very, very much to make a priority of being with Him. And if we don't make a priority of those things, that He's going to find other people to take our place because the church needs to be full. And not because it's the church and we want to pass the tray, but because it is symbolic of the very kingdom of God. <laughs>
Now, as we have done over most of the last few weeks, we will read a little about Saint Nectarios, given that this is the 100th anniversary of his repose, and our Metropolitan has asked that we try and speak a little about his life as often as we can. So let's pick up where we left off from the book Saint Nectarios of Aegina, the saint of our century, by Sotos Chondropoulos. And we'd left off partway through chapter 3. Everything for your will, my Lord, and not for ours, for we are but humble sinners, he whispered in prayer. He then thought again about those he had just wholeheartedly prayed for at the Vespers a little while ago. He thought about Patriarch Sophronios, his benefactor, the most reverend old man who saw to it that he be schooled and then elevated him to the position of Metropolitan. He again prayed for his health and longevity and couldn't help but say to himself, what a good human being. He thought about the deceased John Horimes, his very first benefactor, who sent him from the fragrant island of Hios to the capital of Greece so that he could finish high school. He again prayed for the repose of the soul of his departed servant of the Lord. He thought about his family, whom he always prayed for, his father, his mother, his siblings and his grandmother, who, although had fallen asleep long ago, was the one who taught him his first prayers and psalms, and who had given him the precious gift of a little cross with a piece of the holy cross in it as a weapon against the devil. Suddenly his deep thoughts were interrupted by a knock on the door. It must be Galinos, he thought, but as the door opened, he saw that he was mistaken. It was a robust young deacon who seemed quite familiar. Where have I met him before, Nectarios thought. He then concluded to himself that it must have been in Alexandria in the church of St. Savas, the cathedral of the Patriarchate. My respects to you, your eminence, may I come in, he whispered, holding back his thoughts. He bowed as the required etiquette and placed an envelope on the desk. The seal on the envelope was the familiar patriarchal seal. Read it immediately, your eminence, but do not get ready to go to the patriarch afterwards. He is ill and will not receive you, he added quickly, as if he was reciting a special message. Where do you come from? Nectarios asked, from his beatitude. Do you know what he wants? Hmm, no, I don't. Read it. So Nectarios opened the envelope and proceeded to read. The Metropolitan of Pentapolis Nectarios is relieved of his duties as administrator of the Patriarchal Office of Cairo, as well as Patriarchal Representative and Member of the Synod of the Church. His Grace is allowed, however, if he so pleases, to retain his room in the dormitory for sleeping, studying and writing, to dine in the dining room with the other priests and to remain, in general, on the patriarchal grounds. Furthermore, he is allowed to perform the sacraments when called upon, such as matrimony, baptism, funerals, requiems and feast days. He is forbidden to travel to other cities within the jurisdiction of the patriarchate, even to the old city of Cairo, without authoritative permission.
Signed, Sophronios of Alexandria, Cairo, 3rd of May, 1890. After reading the letter, his right hand, which held the letter, and which he always used to reverently bless in the sign of the cross, suddenly became numb. His eyes, which up to now were clear, became like two watery lakes. Why? his lips whispered in disbelief. His distressed face looked up at the deacon, searching his eyes for some answer. Don't even go there. His beatitude will not receive you, was the deacon's deacon's harsh reply. But why? Nectarios answered again. Hmm, who knows? You probably did not make sure that you took care of your people. You know your confidence over there. You should have thought more of keeping them pleased so that they could be on your side, the deacon replied as if doing him a favour. He dusted his robes and gazed harshly and painlessly at the tearful eyes of Nectarios. It is clearly jealousy and hatred, but I am shocked as to why anyone would be jealous of me, Nectarios said. Don't go to Alexandria, but even if you do, the patriarch will not receive you. Besides, he is ill. Very well, my son, go with the blessing of the Virgin and take care that you never make our crucified Lord sorrowful. As the unexpected guest departed, rudely slamming the door behind him, Nectarios's hand, which was still holding the paper, just laid on the desk numb, almost dead. Streams of tears started flowing and Nectarios's body stood still, motionless from the shock. And now what, he whispered to himself solemnly. Just like that, without reason, justification or explanation. Not even an invitation to discuss the matter. Then he thought to himself, maybe I did something against the rules without realising it. I think I recall that someone informed me that I responded with the word thank you to the well-wishers at the banquet, but that is certainly imaginary. In any case, he proclaimed loudly as he stood before his desk, I respect him, I love him, and I shall never forget all that he did for me. It was then that he was overcome with anxiety and felt a bodily crisis of sorts coming on. He first felt a sinking feeling of despair all over, which was followed by a cold sweat enveloping his body and was then coupled by a weakening feeling so intense that it made him fear falling down. Just as he was about to reach the peak of this sick feeling, his tearful eyes looked towards the crucifix for strength and he was immediately visited by a wholly calming feeling which caused him to sigh from relief. Sitting down to further relax, he suddenly became overwhelmed by a happy feeling. As he took out his handkerchief from his pocket and proceeded to wipe his eyes, he whispered to himself, Temptation. The evil one had come like an unexpected crusader to bother the Nectarios, but he was overcome. Nectarios silently prayed, Lord, do as thy will, thy will be done. Just then he remembered the second paragraph of the patriarchal paper. His grace is allowed, however, if he so pleases, to retain his room in the dormitory for sleeping, studying and writing.
patience, he thought to himself. He remembered St. Clement of Alexandria, who had spoken of patience as the tear-soaked royal robe of all hermits. Let me be humbled in the eyes of the people. It does not matter. I shall have patience, he uttered to himself. He then kneeled before the crucifix and made the sign of the cross. Chapter 4 By necessity, people in the community began to find out about what happened to Nectarios. The first to learn that Nectarios was relieved of his duties as Metropolitan were those who had dealings with the patriarchal office, then the members of the community who awaited the performance of certain church ceremonies, and, most sadly, then the needy poor and the destitute who depended on his charity. They were the persons who hurt perhaps most of all, because Nectarios, despite the high position that was bestowed upon him, did everything in his power to help them, and for that they were eternally grateful. Even before he was relieved of his duties, it had been some months since he actually saw any of his salary as Metropolitan. But even when he did receive his salary, he would not have it for long because he gave it immediately to others for their needs. Whether it was for the many innumerable requests of family and friends or for compatriots who were undeservedly suffering, Nectarios always put them first with a happy heart. In fact, he was now in debt for the first time to a printer who was going to publish his book, Thesaurus of Religious and Philosophical Sayings. It truly broke his heart when he walked across the patriarchal court and saw the destitute waiting there for him in the sunlight as they had so many days before because now he was not able to help them. He had to tell him that he had no money and was even in debt and then he watched their tormented eyes look at him in shock and total bewilderment. The sound of those poor souls dragging their shoes in despair across the court pierced his heart with pain, like that of a parent seeing his child suffer. Despite the order forbidding him to go to Alexandria, Nectarios had to try, and he did so three times. Yet all three times he found the doors closed with the excuse that Patriarch Sophronios was away. One time the reason given was that he was just simply travelling, the next that he was supposedly at Sinai, and lastly that he was taking his therapeutic baths. All the intrigue and jealous hatred that had brought him down would certainly not slip up now and allow him to see the patriarch. As any other person who has been hurt unjustifiably, Nectarios started to question himself deeply, to see if perhaps some justification indeed existed. It is quite difficult to accept that people would hurt their brothers and sisters in Christ simply for the sake of hurting them, especially when, like Nectarios, you actually feel Christian love and compassion for your fellow man. However, the more Nectarios searched his memory, the more he could not remember ever having expressed ambition to be patriarch. In fact, he had never even asked anyone's opinion about such a matter, nor did he seek support or help for why then, he asked himself, why? Nectarios made a fourth and final desperate trip to Alexandria to try to see the patriarch. As he was walking through the courtyard, two clergymen, the type that ironically the patriarch did not care for, insulted him. 
Attention, the successor of Patriarch Sophronios is passing. The first one burst out laughing. I wonder where and how he now manages his secret rendezvous, added the other. Despite the sun that brilliantly and heatedly shone in the sky that day, it might as well have been foggy and cold, for that is how Nectarios' spirit felt. My God, he prayed softly, my dear Lord and God, please give me the strength and help me through this. That's all that we've got time for today, but hopefully, God willing, um, we'll pick up again, not next week, because next week we've got a special program about uh, Christ's nativity, but hopefully the week after that. As we're nearing the end of our time together, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox broadcast on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 and hope you'll join us again next Sunday, which, as I said just a a couple of minutes ago, we will have a special program about Christmas. We'd like to thank all our fathers for the inspiration and help we get from them and a special thanks today to fathers Pavlos and Meletios. We look forward to seeing you soon and may our beloved Christos and Panagia bless and protect us all. Hierate. That programme was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.